Welcome to the Playgroup Q&A podcast from Nick Hearn Books. Each month, we've been making one great play available to read and keep at a special discounted price and inviting everyone who reads it to send in a question for the writer. I'm your host, Sean Mayhall Purvis. I work at Nick Hearn Books. And for this episode, I spoke to Frances Poet about her moving, award-winning play, Adam. Adam was first performed by the National Theatre of Scotland at the Traverse Theatre Edinburgh during the Edinburgh Festival Fringe 2017, where it won a Fringe First Award. It was later performed on tour around the UK, as well as in New York. It was adapted for screen with the film released on BBC Scotland in March 2021 and currently available to watch on BBC iPlayer. The screen adaptation was nominated in the Television Scripted category at the BAFTA Scotland Awards. Adam was directed by Cora Bissett with music by Jocelyn Pook. You'll also hear a few references to Leonie Gasson, who ran the Adam World Choir as part of the production. In addition to Francis, in this episode, we're also joined by Adam Kashmiri, whose story inspired the play and who starred in the premiere production. Spoiler alert, we will be discussing the play in full, including its ending. This discussion also includes references to sensitive themes, including abuse, sexual assault and suicide. So listener discretion is advised. I started our conversation by asking Frances to describe Adam in her own words. So Adam is inspired by the real life story of Adam Kashmiri. Adam is a trans man who was born and raised in Egypt. And it wasn't till his late teens that he discovered that these all-consuming feelings he had had that he'd been born in the wrong body, that there was actually a, a world of people sharing this experience. He had never encountered it as a concept or uh, met anyone who'd experienced these things before. So uh, because presenting as a man in Egypt would have been incredibly dangerous for him, he sought refuge in Britain. And a change in the law and a change in the strategy of the Home Office at the time meant that his um, claim for asylum was repeatedly rejected on the grounds that they didn't believe his claim to be a transgender man, which meant he wasn't able to access the medical resources, which would allow them to prove that he was indeed a trans man. So the play charts um, Adam's journey to Scotland uh, trapped in the wrong body, trapped in a room in Glasgow, continually being rejected uh, in his claims for asylum and charts his journey through to becoming um, the man he knew he always was. Adam, thank you for also joining us on the podcast. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. <laughs> we have um, our first question for you, which is how did the idea of turning the story of your life into a piece of theatre come about? Uh, that's actually a very interesting story. So back in 2012, I was accepted um, as an asylum seeker and I was given refugee status after the three refusals. I was advised to go to the Scottish Refugee Council to kind of like understand the process from moving to like being an asylum seeker to being a refugee. And obviously because I was allowed to work then if I, if I got refugee status and kind of start my life. They told me about this collaboration that they were doing, inviting asylum seekers, refugees, and even Scottish people to come together and kind of create like a performance from everyone's story, everyone's stories. So uh, I decided to join. Through that process, we were meeting like uh, we we're meeting twice a week. Um, I was very quiet for the longest time. I wasn't even going to take part in in the, in the performance. I was just happy to be meeting people again because I wasn't meeting people for quite a long time. But then, like near the end, I decided to take part, and I kind of wrote like um, a short monologue that was four or five minutes. And luckily enough, at the time when we were performing this for the first time, Cora Bissett was premiering her show, Glasgow Girls, at the Citizens Theatre at the same night. Like, how amazing was that? Um, so, yeah, I didn't know it, but Cora Bissett was there at our performance, seeing our re-show before her uh, premiere. So, yeah, I went on and I did my wee monologue and Cora was there and we spoke after the performance and she was like, um, I'm, I'm really moved by your story. I would like to learn more about it. We spoke briefly about turning that maybe into a film or theatre 
Kora uh, was quite keen to kind of shed more light on the trans community and the stereotypes and issues that are facing all around the world. And that really appealed to me. Like Kora's vision was very um, collective and it was more about the community and how she can help the community rather than uh, rather than being about me or, or, or just talking about me. So we spoke about that and then we didn't speak for another maybe two years. And then after two years, she gives me a call and is like, Adam, do you remember? I'm Kora. I was like, of course I remember you. And she's like, well, do you still want to do this play about yourself? I'm like, my God, do you still remember? And she's like, of course, I've been trying to get funding for all this time. And I'm like, amazing. Um, so yeah, it turned out all like throughout this time, the two years, I thought she forgotten. She was actually um, <laughs> looking for funding and she got it. And yeah, this is how kind of all started. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I'm, that was kind of the long way about it. I'm not really sure how to shortcut that story. <laughs> oh, no, no. We want to hear the full version. Oh, we don't want to hear the edited version at all. Cool, cool. So, Francis, how did you become involved in the project? Mine was a bit later. Cora was um, an associate director at National Theatre of Scotland at the time, and she got the green light to develop it as a project. And I think she'd, I hadn't worked with Cora, and I think she'd approached a number of possible writers and hadn't found the right match. And then there was um, another associate, Graham McLaren, who just di- who sort of commissioned me and directed a play called uh, What Put the Blood. It was called Andromac when it was first done. It was kind of a, um, a classic cut. So it was kind of an adaptation. Cora wasn't finding the right writer and he passed her uh, the play and said, you should read this. Um, and she read it and liked it enough to want to meet me. So we met and she said, yeah, come and we'll, I think she invited us both for lunch, didn't she, Adam? at her place and uh, yeah. went for lunch and, and I'd never done anything like this and so I was quite nervous you know I didn't know why Adam should trust me and you know what he'd make of this this you know upstart writer going right yeah tell me everything about some of the most traumatic things of your life and then the second time we met was lunch at my house and Cora last minute wasn't able to make it so it was even more like right Adam it's you and me let's and you know I knew Adam you know Adam trusted Cora they'd met earlier she'd done this amazing production Glasgow Girls so but luckily, Adam and I just sort of found our way through working on it and, and became good friends and, you know, and it worked. But I, I was apprehensive at the beginning. He must have been too, were you? I, I actually, like now, when I remember our interaction, I feel like we got along quite well, quite quickly. Like I even remember when we went at Cora for dinner and met you for the first time, I'm pretty sure we started like start chatting all the three of us like straight away and we're like well, we got along quite well and then I remember you even like drove me home that day um and then when we met again at your house I thought it was going to be weird that Cora wasn't there but then you know you made this amazing lasagna and salad and I still remember <laughs> it it was so nice <laughs> and then like, I was like, really so like I thought it was going to be really I nervous. wooed you with my lasagna <laughs> absolutely <laughs> you, you totally stole my heart with that lasagna um, but no, and then we started chatting and no I was quite chill like I felt comfortable with you I think from the very start if I'm honest yeah so obviously it sounds like you were off to a a great start from the off what was the process of developing the script like how did you collaborate on the best way to tell this story on the stage it was an odd process because it's not the process you'd devise as the perfect process for this project because there were lots of things we didn't know at the time. We had these two long lunches where Adam was incredibly generous and, you know, answered a hundred questions and was massively open. And we had a development booked with the National in London, but Cora had this ticking time bomb because she was pregnant. So this development needed to happen before the baby came. So actually, as often happens, it just had to happen really quickly. So off the back of these two meetings, I wrote a draft. um, And then I think, Cora gave notes on it and I wrote a very quick second draft all before this development. So that urgency meant that Adam sort of, you know, stepped aside for a moment as this sort of writing, as this making happened. And so then we had we had a few days on it with some actors and it was a very different play. I'd written three versions of Adam. There was a kind of Egyptian Adam, a Glasgow Adam and a kind of sciencey Adam. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, you know, it seems weird to think of that now. And then on the last day of this development, Adam came and I was absolutely petrified because we'd only had 
these two, as Adam says, glorious meetings. And I think maybe a bit of email interaction, but really, you know, I, I was just presenting this thing and I didn't, and at that stage, Adam wasn't going to be in it. So we had done a development with three actors. And um, so Adam came in on the last day and he came in as we were working a little scene and he heard this little scene and then, and then there was some time for chat and Adam went, yeah, that's really funny. Cause that reminds me of something that happened to me. And I was like, yeah, I hope so. <laughs> because you told me and that's why I'd written it. But Adam was amazing. And he always brought this incredible generosity of spirit to everything we presented. So Adam, you know, was very open to that, but the key body of the work actually came later, which was when we had, so I think I did another draft of notes off the back of that, but then we had a development week. So then we had the awkward bit where Adam said, you're struggling to cast this Cora, would you consider me? I remember Cora sort of calling me and said, we're going to audition Adam. And I was like, do you think that that will be a bit awkward auditioning the man whose story we're telling? Like, how does that work if we don't give him the part? Like, how's that? Like, what's this? (laughs) No, we don't want you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But can we still tell the story? (laughs) I mean, of course, I knew Adam was one of the most charismatic people I'd ever met because we'd had an early um, moment where uh, we'd announced the play as part of a season and we'd been, we'd sat at National Theatre Scotland, we're announcing all their work. And we sat on the stage at the Lyceum and had a little interview about it. And for some reason, the Lyceum was full of people who were interested in the NTS launch. It was like a big sort of event. And I was supposed to be there to put Adam at his ease and what you know as the more experienced professional in this in the theatre context and what happened is Adam just had the entire audience eating out the palm of his hand and that was long before you know that was a good nine months before Adam was going to actually be in it so of course he had, he he did his audition did it extraordinarily and you know then the rest is history because no one can imagine this play not having had Adam in it but we did this really crucial development week and actually it hadn't been all sort of signed on the bottom line. So in a way, the pressure was on for all of us in terms of Adam, you know, wanting to be part of it, in terms of us wanting to make sure that the material was right and that Adam felt it was right. But through that week, you know, some of those crucial changes where Adam was able to say, this you're hitting hitting it right here. This isn't quite right. This is how I felt at this moment. And we really, you know, the play came on leaps and bounds in that week. And before that week, I'd got rid of the third Adam and made it a two Adam play. Um, but yeah, it still grew a lot at that point. I'm very, very intrigued by this enigmatic sciencey Adam. Where did that come from? What was what was science Adam representing? I think I was resisting the binary initially. I'd, I, I think I didn't want anything that was too neat. And I felt there were multiple facets of um, Adam's personality that were interesting. So my first thought was never, oh, there's only two parts to Adam. And I think it, I think the play's richer because of that. I mean, I th- what's interesting is when the, from the first moment I met Adam, you hear his Egyptian accent and you hear his Glasgow accent. So those two coexist in everything Adam says. So, of course, now you think, of course, there would be two Adams and it would be a Glasgow and an Egyptian Adam. But I think developing these characters, you know, the Egyptian Adam was played by a cis female actress um, and that brought some wonderful resonances. But that character was much bigger than just a female body. You know, that character was a trans character. That character was in the wrong body. (laughs) That character was going on the same journey to want to change that. I think in many ways, Egyptian Adam is kind of a teen Adam. They're more passionate and impulsive and feel everything more keenly, whereas you get that sense that Glasgow Adam has a little more maturity, is a little more worldly wise. So I actually think that the, the process, you know, I think if I'd started with the two, it might have been a little bit more simplistic, a little bit more reductive. And I think building d- different facets of character and then and then finding that um, sort of binary opposition made it a richer experience. I hope. I definitely did. <laughs> definitely did. So Adam, what was it like for you? You saw the kind of version that had the three Adams and then you said that you knew that Cora was struggling to... What, what, what kind of brought you to the thought process of how about me? 
Yeah, so we went down to London to see the, the the sharing of the production when Adam was done three characters. And I actually really loved that draft. It was so funny. And it was, I don't know, I really liked that. I still have it, actually. Because I had just gained, like, my refugee status. I had never, like, went to uni or had, like, any work experience. I was still kind of uh, getting my English to be a little bit better. So I had a lot of personal kind of aspects to take care of. And it didn't seem like being in theater was, I've never worked in theater before. That shared it in 2000. 2012 was my first ever thing in theater. So it didn't seem like I could do that. I wanted to, to focus on my life. And Cora was like, yeah, that's that's absolutely fair, Adam. You do this and we're just going to use the story and this is going to be fine. And then, yeah, so two years later, um, after Adam has been turned into a two-person play, and then they've they found an, an actress called Nishla Kaplan and Cora was telling me about like how amazing this actress was and also telling me about how much they're struggling to find like a trans ethnic looking actor within the UK. And then I remember also at some point, Cora, I think it was the end of 2016 when Cora was like, I think every now and again, they were giving me like emails and phone calls to say, hey, Adam, this is where the script is. And this is what we're thinking to do with the with the, with the pictures, like things about the production. And then Cora says, oh, we're still struggling to find like a, an, a trans actor um, so we're thinking of getting someone from the US and I'm like, oh my God, wow. Like, are you guys struggling this much? This is like, this is weird. And then, yeah, we, we've agreed that Koda was going to bring this dude from, from the US and it was absolutely fine. So I'm meeting my friend and I'm telling them about everything that's happening with the production and about the fact that they're struggling to find an actor. And they were like, dude, it's your story. Why don't you do it? I'm like, no, 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 you know, like, I'm not an actor, no, I've only performed once, and, you know, that, that time, even performing in, in, in a small theater in 2012, I was almost going to share myself, so I was like, no, I can never do this, but I feel like it kind of kept playing in my mind a little bit, uh, because I think a few days later, I sent a text to Cora, it was actually just before Christmas in 2016, or after Christmas, and saying like, hey, Cora, how are you doing, happy Christmas, um, if you guys still struggling to find an ethnic uh, like trans actor, can I please audition for it? And I was like, but I know like I'm not I'm not a professional actor and this is like this is gonna be a big production possibly and you know I don't know if I even can handle it. So I just I would like to audition and if you think that I'm not I won't be able to handle it or if I'm not too good or I'm not good enough for it, please just communicate that with me. I'll be happy to go back. I was working in KFC and I was training to be a manager. So I was like, you know what? I'm I'm happy actually to go back to that work and just keep doing what I'm doing. And Cora was like, yes. Absolutely. This is an amazing idea. Let's do it. Let's audition you. And yeah, this is literally how it happened. Um, they auditioned me and Francis was there. Um, and Cora was like, like everyone was like so, so nice about it. And like, oh, Adam, you were so good. But we're really concerned about your mental health. How like you'll, you'll, you'll always be kind of involved with traumatic events that happen to you. Um, so we worked again together that week that Francis mentioned. And I think when we all got together and I think they got to hear where I am in life, I think at that point, and I got to hear like the process of how everyone does everything, like movement, how Frances write her things, how Cora like wants to direct this and what, what she wants to show. I think when we all got that week to kind of just chill and speak to each other, I think this is when all of us were like, I think all of our ideas got together. Me and Frances got to chat a lot, like Frances mentioned. Um, and I think by the end of that week, Cora was like, I think, I think you're you're gonna be great for this. We would like to give you the part. And that was, yeah, that was I got the part to be Adam and Adam. So yeah. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit more about the the writing process. Um, and Francis, we had a question for you from one of our readers, Carolina, and she asked, writing a play involves a lot of creativity and letting yourself go. But in this instance, you were also writing someone else's story. And so you had to keep your imagination in check in a way. How did you find this balance? Yeah, it's interesting. Increasingly in my career, I seem to be writing real stories <laughs> and, and it means there is much less freedom. You're nurturing and holding something that feels very precious. You know, I just had a, a play on in the festival and it was drawn very heavily from an experience that happened to dear friends of mine. So, you know, you have your opening, you have the press, you get the, you know, you get some reviews, but actually the night you go and sit with your friends who had that experience and you hope you treasured it and, and told it in the right way. And when they say, 
yeah, you did. We approve it. We give it our blessing. It's like, it's the best feeling in the world. So um, Adam was the first experience of this. And neither Adam and I knew what we were doing. I think we kept sort of hoping someone in the process knew what they were doing. And we just sort of muddled our way through it. I do know that early on, I was very faithful to everything Adam had told me. And the dramaturgy I got from Cora and other people who supported the text, uh, the literary manager at the time, George Jesus Selinger, was to push and shape because it would, where we pushed and shaped, it was to best serve the universal trans experience. So there was always a, there was always a clear reason for, you know, rather than just it'll be much more entertaining that way, you know, it, you know, there was always a very good ethical reason for shaping and those moments where we stepped it away. Adam's relationship was always really interesting because he, he always described it as, you know, I feel like I'm telling someone else's story, but that I have a lot of, um, you know, uh, all that emotion and my backstory to bring to it. But there is this level of fiction that allows me to occupy this in a way that isn't dangerous for my mental health. So yes, it was tricky. I tend always to want to be incredibly faithful and then have everyone else telling me not to be. <laughs> so, you know, I've just had a play on called Sophia, which was based on the life of Sophia Jex Blake. And the first draft was an absolute, you know, hefty monster. And uh, and every dramaturgical point they gave, they'd say, oh, uh, what about this? And I go, but, yeah, but it didn't happen like that. And they go, yes, but you're finding the greater truth, Francis. So yes, I find it really hard, but weirdly, it has come to define my work pretty consistently. There's not a single play that I've written that hasn't been hugely rooted in experiences people very close to me have had. I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah, yeah. The, of, of the of the recent work, you know, even even plays that I haven't particularly talked about that, but you know, gut had its origin in as something that happened to dear friends of mine. Fibers was from a conversation at a um at a music class, a story that someone told me, you know, still was drawn very much from my family's experience, your stories. So yeah, yeah, and and stuff I'm working on now too. The fact that you started with Adam and you've continued to work in that vein, has that been a conscious choice? No, it hasn't been a conscious choice at all. There have been the ideas that have moved me and then I've felt I've needed to to sort of write them. And actually, everything in my being at the minute is saying, oh, Francis, you know, I think every project is a reaction to the one before. And I've I've hit a point, I'm working on a big piece that's very emotional, very drawn on. I'm holding a lot of people's stories, a lot of people's pain. And of course, after this, I'd really like to write a play about imaginary characters (laughs) (laughs) where I owe no one anything. It's interesting. I'm not sure you necessarily get to choose. I think possibly... I do think Adam took me to a different place and that when you're an aspiring writer, it's much harder to call someone up and say, I want to write a story about this. Will you talk to me? And I think the more experience you get as a writer, those doors open. So I do think there's a kind of a privilege of being, a, you know, a writer with a few plays behind you to be able to start to tell those stories and, and tackle plays that do require a lot of research and require a lot of trust. So I, I wonder whether that also is defining it, that I do get more access now because of the stories I've told so far to be able to continue to tell these real stories. But I always feel it comes with such heavy responsibility. Talking about the balance between the real life events and the fiction, Adam, I'm kind of interested to know what that was like for you as perhaps your story became more fictionalised. What was that like? I think because so I made my professional debut as a performer with Adam during the fringe of 2017. So literally prior to like rehearsing Adam, I had no experience and no expectation 
from speaking with Cora, even before before like starting the rehearsal process, I think from speaking with Cora and Francis, and like Francis mentioned earlier, I was really keen to introduce some fictional bits within my story to kind of include the bigger kind of stories of the trans community, because obviously not everything that's happened to me has happened to everyone, and not everything that's happened to everyone has happened to me. So I kind of was really keen to kind of have like a, a wider reflection of the community. And, and in a way, when I when I became part of the play and to be a performer in it, I think that helped me quite a bit. It helped me kind of draw some distance to the character at least a little bit because uh, coming in with no like performing experience, I'm like, how hard can it be? You know, I'm Adam and I'm going to be doing Adam. Like it's no hard. And then obviously you start the rehearsal process and you're like, whoa, <laughs> there's so much to learn about like stage terminologies, how to memorize a script, how to even deal with the, the set we have because we had a beautiful, complicated set in a way designed by Emily James. And yeah, so there was so much, I think, to learn and I think maybe halfway through rehearsals, this is when I really realized, no, it can't be I'm Adam performing Adam, because then I was really, I was getting too involved in, in the line of the story and how dark it was. I wasn't really, I wasn't separating myself from what was happening. So it was more like going to rehearsal every day and triggering myself with trauma every day. So I think halfway through, it was it was a very valuable res- lesson for me, I think. It was like, no, I, I'm a performer. I Yes, I'm Adam, but I'm also a performer. And I need to kind of draw that line. And I think that helped me kind of grow confidence in my ground and, and not and not trigger myself constantly with it. It was it became a comfortable process. Actually, it became a healing process because like now when we're going to perform in a, in a fringe, doing this like heavy hour of um, heavy emotion, sadness and anger and abuse and so much. But then the lovely thing about it that always ends with, with the community vibe and the love and warmth that, that the, um, the, the choir that Adam will come choir brought as well with the ending of the story and I think that served as as a healing process I think for me. There's something quite amusing to add during the rehearsal process Adam had to do some pre-publicity and speak to journalists and as I was told at the time I wasn't there he was asked some questions and answered it from the play Adam and then afterwards was like I just I just sort of said something as if it was true that is absolutely just in the play (laughs) so I think that must have been a really confusing Using time for Adam kind of totally embodying this part and like sh- pushing out his lived experience and then having to talk about it and journalists sort of saying what was your lived experience and kind of answering it from the play perspective I know that was actually really weird but that was I, I totally forgot about that but then yeah there was this interview and I can't remember the question now but I remember like talking about it and then when they left I was like what, 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 that didn't happen. What, what, how did that come about in your mind? But I think I was in, I was, I was just zoned in, 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 um, in the story. And I think I would be nervous. I, th- I think play as well when I go on interviews and I think I, my brain kind of shot, like shot that out. Uh, but that was so funny to kind of quote that play and, <laughs> and kind of erase my experience altogether. <laughs> so that was really interesting. Yeah. Hey, you were immersed in that character. It's all part of oh, the process. <laughs> I mean, if it's useful, I can talk to you a little bit about liberties I took. So there are lots of hangovers from that first draft, which had come from just two meetings with Adam. And Adam is so charismatic and you do get a strong sense of him in in a short space of time. So, for example, the, the kind of idea of the contronym. You know, there was a way that Adam was using language that even though he didn't say I'm really interested in words, it made me feel, oh, he likes words. You can fit, you know, I like feeling the way he'd picked up that Glasgow accent and the way he was the way he was approaching his English speaking made me sort of go, oh, that that feels true to him. And, you know, and then I found the contronym and that felt like, you know, a gift of a sort of metaphor for the play. Before you move on from that thought one of our readers wrote in about the contronym Paula wrote in to say that she found the concept of the contronym such a beautiful linguistic metaphor for the action in the play and especially how Adam only discovers the word he's been looking for in the final scene like a melody being resolved at the end of a piece of music was it something that you came up with quite early in writing the play, when did you come upon that idea of, of bringing it into the bringing that motif into the script? 
I don't think I can answer as eloquently as that beautiful comment was <laughs> articulated. I love it. Yes, it was really early. I think it was in the it was in the first draft with the three versions of Adams. The moment I found it, it's and of course that seems absurd, doesn't it? I, I put in the contronym, which is two opposing things in a single word, and yet it was still three Adams. So you know, <laughs> it, it seems obvious that it should be two opposing things within the the same world. Um, Yes, it came early and then I just couldn't believe the gifts it gave me. You know, when I was sort of scouring continents, it's like, oh, they all feel so resonant. What was interesting is when we did, so we, we've we adapted, uh, we did a sort of hybrid half stage, half screen kind of adaptation that I think is still available on BBC iPlayer. It is, it is. Go and watch it, everyone. I found another one that wasn't in the play, which was cleave, which means both to separate, but also to push to, you know, to, to, yeah. to, to unite. So that ended up in the in the sort of screen version. So contronyms just keep on giving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I wanted to say something about that and the contronym side of it. And also like to, to reference back something uh, Francis said at the earlier of this, of our talk. Uh, when when I, was, I, w- I went to the development in London and that's when we had the script with the three characters. And I remember seeing some stuff and going, oh my God, how did you know that? And the reason why, like, obviously I met with Francis twice and I had told Francis quite a lot. But the thing is, the reason why I didn't kind of click that that actually came from me, I had said some things to Francis, but Francis, the way you kind of like, uh, yes, I did like words, but also my English wasn't as good as it is now. And I didn't even understand my fascination with words and language back then as good as you did if you know what I mean like you you kind of spotted that in me before I did so I think that's that's how amazed I am with the script because you got like little bits of what I said and you've kind of you used them so cleverly so intelligently like even with the contronym thing that was so so amazing to have the, I think it's the contronyms are amazing to even be used in that in particularly in that story because you can there's so much play with it and I, I'm just going to button and say you can see what a glorious process it was working with Adam he's like the most generous open-hearted spirit and that that you know that was every stage of this process was Adam responding so fully and warmly and generously as that oh I'm gonna start gushing about you now the way Francis has handled my story and I think I mean you gotta think about about it in, in, a, in, a, in a, from a different lens as well for me to sit in somebody's house that I have met only once or twice and not not really spoken with a lot and to have gushed out all my story and all my traumatic events all my private bits and everything all in those two meetings Francis you must have done a million things right to get me into that comfortable kind of calm environment where I get to share like so like precious bits of my life uh, happily with you so you were a big part of that process of that generosity you mentioned for me you were a huge part Francis because if you hadn't um, created that environment for me and you were so lovely and yeah you were so lovely in many ways like in many ways in the way you choose how you communicate your questions you were extremely so respectful of my story and how you went about your questions so sensitive so caring like the process Francis you were amazing and oh. you were a huge cause and how how I got to communicate my story I, I gotta put this out like it's yeah well it absolutely. was an absolute privilege You've talked about how it was a, uh, the first draft had three Adams and that was distilled down to two. But this question from one of our readers does come from a slightly different angle. One of our readers, Charlotte, wrote in to say, I thought that the doubling was a really clever way of extending the ideas of fluidity of identity in the play with the performers constantly becoming different people as the story progressed. So I know that we've talked about bringing the three Adams to two, but how about the conversation around still just having two actors play everyone? Yes. And actually, I was going to mention that earlier when Adam was talking about approaching it as a role. He, Adam played multiple characters. Adam didn't just play himself. You know, he what he did play his father, the manager, you know, all these different roles. So I think that 
that must have shifted your experience, Adam, to sort of, you know, you were building so many worlds for us, weren't you, uh, theatrically as a performer. Just in terms of my response to a question about those characters playing all those many parts, it was quite interesting when we adapted it for screen and the big change we made was we didn't feel that that theatrical conceit would play as well on screen and so we populated all those characters with actors and that was that was quite a mad you know when you've lived this world and seen Adam and this and this second actor that initially was Nashla Kaplan and then was Rihanna McDonald you know build the world just the two of them to then make the screen version and actually get to see a different Amira and to see you know a sort of a manager and to see a different Malik was was really quite exciting I mean in terms of the the stage show, one of the things I loved is that I think people connected with that second performer that Adam was playing with, who was playing all those multiple parts. And I wrote a stage direction. I'm not sure quite what it is, but when um, Tony comes in at the end, I wrote, this is a completely different person, you know, completely different energy, completely different person. And what I, and of course it was played by the same actor, but what I loved is when I spoke to my friend who was like, I thought it was really sad that the, that the actress who played all those previous parts didn't get to join in the curtain call (laughs) because they really thought because there was this change of costume and this change of energy they didn't recognize it as the same actor they they'd really sort of you know Neshla had really played this stage direction of it's a completely new character so that I thought was quite lovely that people did invest in this second Adam and then when they left they felt the abs, you know, they felt that that character had left and they didn't feel the theatricality of them walking on as a new person. You know, it felt like a new person. So I was always really pleased with that. That's incredible. Yeah, actually, with, with the mom, with the Mariam, uh, the actress that played mom, uh, because she came at the end on the screen um, because everything, I think, has been true to some to a huge extent. I think it was quite easy for people to jump at the end and mistake Neshla for being actually my ex-wife, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. And people, and that that was true. That also happened with the the character of the mother because we suddenly opened out onto the screen and it was a Skype. There were a lot yeah. of people who said, "Was that Adam's real mother?" When in actual fact, this this amazing actress Miriam, who'd done a day for us, she'd done a day. She'd recorded this thing, which I have to say, the way Adam played that with this record, you know, the way Miriam played it, the way Adam played against it, made me cry every single time I saw it, and I saw it a lot. Um, but then in in the screen version, we were in the lucky position of being able to then bring Miriam in to play the mother throughout. And that that felt like a nice development of that because she'd only done a day and then she'd been such a huge part of that theatrical experience. Yeah, absolutely. And also to, to, to reflect on something also, Francis, that you mentioned, because I found that very interesting, like as, as a process for me as um, within the play as a story because in the, in the stage version like I as well as performing Adam I get to do the dad and I get to do the manager which are quite two powerful kind of figures in my past life um, so to, to have kind of witnessed some abuse from those two characters and then be them I think that was a very uh, intriguing process and I hadn't really thought about it that in that way like oh my god I'm being my dad I'm being the abuser in my own story I hadn't really thought about it that way but then comes the the screen version where it was like Francis mentioned we populate all the, the characters to be performed by amazing performers and then I got to just be Adam witnessing the experiences with the dad and the manager and the, the stranger and the creepy dude and all of that. And I think that was entirely different I, as, as an experience of receiving the emotion. I found that such a huge, intriguing process because I definitely feel how I played the dad in a stage, for example, it's a totally different vibe from how it is in a film because that's my take on it. It's my, like, I've witnessed the abuse and now I'm turning it around and giving it to you from my point of view. And then comes another performance Former that reads the character and like puts their own experience and their own take on the character and I felt like it was an entirely new scene somehow if that makes any sense mm-hmm. so it was I think also the process between the two was in- incredibly intriguing I think while we're talking about um, the other actors who appeared on the screen you're talking about Miriam and so at a key point in the narrative of the play, there's a beautiful moment that features the Adam World Choir, which you mentioned earlier, Adam. 
Could one or both of you talk a bit about what the Adam World Choir is and how it came about? It was Cora Bissett's idea from the very beginning. All of the sort of contronyms and the, you know, how many versions of Adam, that all came later. But Cora knew she wanted to tell Adam's story and she wanted to gather a world choir, an international choir of, of trans and non-binary people. It was all pulled together by the amazing Leonie, wasn't it? And we had extraordinary people as part of that process. And it, what was what was gratifying about the screen version is that some of those people internationally had never been able to see the play and they were able to access the screen version. People who were living in places where the stakes are very high on them being recognised, on them sort of experiencing this. After the screen version aired, we had a big Zoom with a lot of these people from the choir joining. And that felt that felt a very wonderful moment that they'd got to sort of bring, you know, that it'd gone back out into the world through the screen, a screen version. So Jocelyn Pook was the composer and she's an extraordinarily experienced composer who worked on Eyes Wide Shut with Stanley Kubrick. And uh, that was a sort of a lucky thing where Cora had kind of felt that Jocelyn would be an amazing fit for this idea she'd had about the the World Choir. And um, Jocelyn was doing a post-show, she was doing a sort of BAFTA Q&A in Glasgow. So I went, I was tasked with going to the Q&A and sort of asking, question and seeing Jocelyn afterwards and then the next day we met her and and she managed to sort of build it into her schedule and so obviously delivered this sort of incredible music and there were some songs used in the stage play that were from uh, pre-existing music that that Jocelyn had written and added so much emotion and heart and uh, you know gorgeous kind of Arabic influence um so yeah the choir was a very special thing and, and I think I became quite obsessed early on with the impact and I think Cora had as well I think she must have sort of passed that on to me with the impact I mentioned it at the very beginning for Adam not being able to process it or understand these strong feelings he'd had from earliest childhood typing a question into the computer and finding a community of people who were experiencing what he was experiencing and I think that was something that Adam talked about in this initial piece he did in this here we stay refugee moment that I wrote into the play I didn't get I wasn't there but it was such a crucial moment for the existence of this play because Cora was there and, and received that story so I think Cora Laura's idea of the World Choir was such a beautiful one because community and what that did for Adam at this moment was such a crucial part in him becoming who he needed to be. Yeah, and I also wanted to add like um, a little bit about, um, so we have this, the, the Adam World Choir that comes twice within the stage performance. It's a huge two big moments uh, within the play. And the Adam's World Choir is a, is a community of 140 members of trans and non-binary people from all around the world. And they all came together and Leonie uh, created like something like a platform that's similar to Facebook, but was only for this community to come together and communicate and talk and kind of connect. So anyway, everyone contributed. Some people contributed with their voices and their faces. Some people contributed only with their voices and some people just contributed with their written words. So for about for about two years, performing this stage play and seeing like people's faces and hearing them and reading their, reading their statements, have, have no idea what those people are like. It's just seeing them on, on the screen every day or every performance. And then comes, you know, like, I wouldn't say thanks to the pandemic, but I think the pandemic helped shape the, the, that process in a sense that I'm about to, to describe. That because I think the pandemic, it, it sort of allowed us to have that party on Zoom afterwards and get and invite everyone that was part of that of that process to come together and just we all sat together on Zoom. I'm like, oh my God, I've been seeing you like on the screen for two years. I'm so happy <laughs> to actually be speaking to you right now. And I think that was so lovely for others, like for those people to actually sit with us and be like, right, this is what, what I was part of. But also for us to be like, oh my God, it's you. And we got to hear about some people's work, what they're doing in their own communities. And it was just, it was so amazing. Like hearing about something that was created only for a performance, but actually the there is a community behind it. There is, you know, there is a bigger story, a warmer kind of, yeah, background to it. And then some people also actually flew to Glasgow and came to see the preview in the Fringe. And not many people, but that was also lovely to meet some of those choir um, uh, members. 
it's lovely for the show to have that as part of its legacy. Yeah, that's really special. And actually talking about the incredible response to the play. So Adam premiered at the Traverse Theatre in 2017 as part of the Edinburgh Festival Fringe and won a string of awards, including a Fringe First. And it's since toured to venues around the UK, including a run at the Battersea Arts Centre in London and has had performances in New York. And as we've been speaking about earlier this year, the show was adapted for screen and broadcast on the BBC with the film still currently available on BBC iPlayer, as we were saying. So do go and watch it. What has it been like for both of you to experience the amazing response to the play? And are there any particular standout moments in the four years since it first premiered? Well, for me as a writer, Adam sort of was the wrong order of things. So I had written my first play, Gut, before Adam went on. And then Gut was presented with support. It was presented at the Traverse with support from National Theatre Scotland. Two of us got supported to kind of encourage writers to be working on a bigger stage. But I'd just been involved in this roller coaster of having a fringe hit, you know. So, so that was sort of quite odd for me, the, the imbalance to be a first-time writer after I'd been part of this, this, you know, phenomenon. I mean, it was the most thrilling experience the fringe itself everybody on the team was so glorious and we had a lot of fun around it you know we we had some great nights around that fringe and then it went it did a little tour it went to Battersea we had an excellent night in Battersea after after another performance we got to go to New York it was quite a journey that continued through to in the middle of a lockdown pandemic, making the screen version, you know, which was a very odd experience. You know, Adam was um, sort of isolated in a bubble with um, the two actors that he had to have sort of had to kiss, you know, there were, um, you know, there's a moment where Adam spits at the father figure Malik and that had to be done in sort of uh, with glass and cleverness. And so, uh, yeah, it's been a, a sort of crazy, wonderful journey. There are also now starting to be, there was a production in Australia that was nothing to do with Adam and I, you know, they they got the rights and, and it went on and there's another request in the way. So that's very odd. I mean, I imagine it's much more odd for Adam than for me, that experience. But yeah, it has consistently been the biggest privilege to have worked on it as a show. Thank you so much, Francis. It was, no, honestly, it's, I mean, being part of that show is definitely a privilege, huge privilege for me, I think, to have got to this industry, I think, it allowed me to kind of set a foot in this industry. But I think when I talk about big moments, I think 2017 was a huge was a huge year for me, and I had many great moments, making my professional debut as a performer, but also be part of a play that is about me and talks a lot about my trauma and a lot of my personal bits in life. So yeah, I think 2017 was quite huge. I was really scared, I would say, actually. I thought I was, just before the show premieres in the Travers, I thought I was going to get a lot of hate and I was going to get like attacked a lot. For some reason, I just had this negative view of how this was going to be perceived. And I was, I was, I was a bit scared that I was going to get attacked a lot. But thankfully, that really never happened. It only maybe happened twice or once on the internet, but nothing, never nothing in person. So that was so humbling. And then the reaction from audiences as well and the fringe was absolutely amazing. And having been nominated and received many awards, like that's just really humbling, really heartwarming, just really nice to, 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 for people to have opened their hearts. I think living in the UK and just hearing these like political things about like being brown, being trans, being an immigrant, I'm kind of all the boxes that people hate in the UK. So it wasn't, I think it's not surprising for me to expect that people would hate or, or would attack me once they hear my story. But what was, what was amazing is to not have received any of that. So, at, yeah, so 2017 was amazing. I had so many conversations after our show every night from people around the world. So that was very humbling. Uh, our experiences in Battersea was also amazing. Um, going to New York was absolutely um, I, I, I can't even put a word to that, but it was it was beautiful to go to another sense of community. Obviously, being trans and being ethnic and being asylum also, these are current major issues in the US. So having gone there and, and spoken with people there, that was beautiful as well, because you can you can really tell how people connected 
with the story and and I, I love it when people just come and express their opinions so that was also huge i think since being like since made him making my professional debut as a performer and since being with adam it's been a huge journey of privilege i think and luck and meeting wonderful people but also helped me discover my creative self and just be more comfortable in in what i'm doing now and develop my world my world um so yeah just beautiful beautiful all around privilege humbling it just all, all beautiful just to pick up on something Adam said, when he came off stage, there was more work to be done because everyone would crowd around him and he would get a lot of love, but he'd also get a lot of people who needed a lot of help, who were going through their own journeys, who'd come and ask for advice. And Adam took that so seriously. And actually, every step Adam has pushed himself because he so he feels that being an ambassador for the trans community is so important and he was that ambassador he was, he was that ambassador on stage and off it and that you know that's one of the glorious things about theatre is that people could come afterwards could connect you know there was that sense of people had, had experienced something collectively and wanted that sort of after experience we had a rather lovely experience after the screen version where we watched it with a drama school group and it ended up being quite a small group that we watched it live with but they all connected with it in a very personal way so there was a queer Arabic woman who was trying to make work about that for whom it was very relevant there was a non-binary person who for whom who is a big Lord of the Rings fan for whom the play you know spoke on a whole profound level and then there was um, someone who I think was from Jamaica and had experienced that asylum process in a really uh, you know had experienced that sort of home office hostility and said that is bang on so that you know what was interesting about the screen version is you don't get those you don't get that sort of audience connection but but when we got it it was really amazing to to sort of feel it again yeah absolutely the beautiful thing about about how Francis wrote the story I think because initially when you look at it it's a story about a trans man it's a story about an immigrant and yeah like I think when you look at the story from outside this is what you see but I think I think the reason why so many people that weren't trans and even some people that weren't even immigrants, like people Scottish or people from the UK relating to the story, because if Francis not only Francis not only just talked about being trans or just being not from here, you used those two avenues. They kind of discuss much bigger issues that all feel like I haven't spoken to people that work in different places even within the UK and they migrated like whether from England to Scotland or from Scotland to England or Wales or whatever but people within the UK can so relate to that because you still you can be displaced within your home within your city even within your community and Throughout our life, we're always looking for a sense of community, a sense of home and, and friendship and understanding and compassion. And I think, Francis, you've played around this and used it so beautifully that every person, literally every person that watched this could relate to and could, you know, this is why the, the entire theatre cried their eyes out at the end of the play. It's because literally everyone can relate at least to one bit, Francis, you 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 talked about. So no, it's it's just how, it really amazes me because I, I consistently think about the Scream Virgin and how much impact it has made because uh, like Francis mentioned earlier, I expected to be a performer, but I definitely didn't expect that I was going to be um, sort of an ambassador for the community outside the stage. But because of the stage performance, so many people within the UK and within the world got in touch with me online, literally asking questions about, can you tell me like, how am I trans? And then I've started to like tell trans people, explain to them how they're born this way and how they can start hormones and telling them advice about how they can deal with their family. And it, it just took it to much, much bigger give it so much bigger weight than I thought it would ever do and it's it's huge actually that people feel comfortable enough to approach me it's, it's something that I don't take lightly it's um, it's beautiful and in a way thank you Francis really thank you for for giving me that opportunity and um, and and for I think for for making the story so approachable so accessible so easy to understand and connect with that you made people from literally all around the world be like I gotta speak to that dude because if, if, the, if the story wasn't communicated the same way, then it would have changed the entire reaction. It's all dominoes effect, if you know what I mean. If the base of the dominoes wasn't solid enough, I think it would have ended up crap. But because the base you wrote, Francis, was absolutely fantastical, 
and humbling and sensitive and gentle in so many ways. It just made it this amazing production that ended up helping people in their darkest times. I remember someone, um, like a trans woman, uh, coming to see the play during the Fringe in 2017. Literally, um, she was saying about how she was thinking about taking her life. And then on radio comes on one of those interviews that we did alongside Joe Clifford, uh, the performer that, uh, that did Eve, which was a production alongside Adam during the Fringe. And literally, like... Um, um, this person coming to say like I'm thinking about taking my life and then I hear you I hear you coming on and I hear about your show and she tells me I gotta see that play and I'm like amazing like that that came in somebody's darkest moments and changed their thought and maybe maybe gave them that that motive to live at least for a couple of more days and just when you think about that this is amazing in, in so many ways there was something very magic. You know, it's very odd to think that we were so, we so didn't know what it was going to be, what the end product was going to be when we started the journey. Yeah. For me, you know, I know I'm proud of the play, but the magic quality of watching it was absolute, uh, you know, the two actresses Adam played against were amazing. But Adam on stage, the sharing of that story, what was interesting is some audiences early on who hadn't read a lot about it didn't know that Adam wasn't just a performer. And there was a moment, there was a choice that Cora Bissett, who's a very clever director, made, which is she put a picture of Adam's wedding at the end. And for people who didn't know up to that point that Adam was the real Adam, sometimes you got a bit of a gasp because they suddenly realised it. And it created this sort of like you could feel this wave of emotion in the audience and you could feel them sort of getting on their feet and needing to clap because suddenly they'd gone on this journey with, with the play, but they'd got the, you know, Adam had delivered this authenticity. Adam, who had, who had always delivered like an absolute pro, had never done it before, but behaved like a complete pro performer every step through the rehearsals and in production. But he delivered this authenticity that made people go, not only do I understand this, but it's you. You shared you with us. And they felt that generosity. So there was a definite magic sort of alchemy to the, to the thing that means that I don't think I will ever be involved in a show that has that quality again. And that, of course, makes everything that comes after feel a little bit anticlimactic. <laughs> um, the, the, the couple of things I wanted to add, one was that um, Adam was my first playtext, Nikon books, I adore <laughs> you, or I have, I have a ridiculously huge play library, having worked in theatre for, you know, a couple of decades. So adding to it with my own Nick Hearn books publication <laughs> was the greatest joy ever. So that has to be said for me, 2017, Adam was published. The other thing, a, a much more sort of downbeat note to end on, but I think is important when you're looking at that time period, the four years since Adam was on, when it came to working on the screen version, we had a Zoom, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic and Adam said, I don't know whether we should change the script in some ways, but the world has got scarier for trans people. The stats back that up, you know, genuinely, there have been more attacks, more murders globally for trans and non-binary people. And when we made the screen version, instead of over those four years going, great, look, the world's better. Actually, what was terrifying is the world was a bit worse and a bit more frightening. And the putting out of the story felt that bit more important. And that kind of depresses me that that's the journey we've gone on over these last four years, but it is the journey we've gone on. So I don't think we can reflect on that sort of the four years since without reflecting on that. Very true. Very true. I think that was a very important to make, Francis. That's so so true. And that's such a, yeah, such a, I, I can't put anything out. It's the way you, you put it out there. It's, yeah, I'm very important to mention, I think, because, yeah, you like you'd say, you think over four years, if things were kind of okay in 2017, then you'd be like, oh, things must be much better. But like, now I want to repeat everything you said. It's exactly what you said, Francis. And uh, such a huge importance to reflect on. Yeah, absolutely. All I can do is thank you both so much for your time. This has been such a treat for me. And I do also have to reflect, it, Francis, you're mentioning the moment at the end of the performance. I remember that moment so clearly because that feeling in the audience of the realisation for some 
that Adam was Adam. And as you say, that gasp, that breath that everyone talked. And I just remember everyone just being sort of like propelled out of our chairs <laughs> for this moment of just very like explosive applause. Yeah. At the end of such an emotional journey. It was just, as I say, that's why it's one of the reasons it's stayed with me, that ending, I remember very clearly. But yeah, it was absolutely brilliant. So this has been, you know, Adam, thank you so much for sharing your story, for being so generous with it, for performing it so phenomenally, and Francis for bringing it to the page so beautifully. Speaking to you both today, it's been so great to hear you both talking about it, but also it's just been great to hear you talking to each other. It's been it's been lovely. And for our listeners who who haven't had the the privilege of seeing what I've been seeing, Adam and Francis have been beaming throughout um, this whole conversation, as have I. It's just been absolutely joyous. So thank you so much for for joining us. It's been absolutely lovely to to have you with us today thank you so much thank you thank you for having us and you know what any opportunity comes to chat with francis i'd take it in a heartbeat honestly i've just had so much joy talking about all these things and reflecting on things i haven't even thought about for a while so it's it's been a really nice refreshing job to my memory so thank you for for having us that was lovely yeah thanks so much guys Thank you for listening to the Playgroup Q&A podcast from Nick Hearn Books. The NHB Playgroup is about to go on hiatus, but listen out for our next Q&A podcast featuring an interview with Natasha Gordon on her award-winning play, Nine Night, which will be out soon. We'd like to thank Francis Poet and Adam Kashmiri for taking part and all of you who sent in a question. We didn't have time to ask all of them, but we hope you'll keep the discussion going online. For now, take care and see you next time.